Good morning. This is, I guess, a special edition of the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Good morning, Alicia. Are you awake? Oh, marginally. (laughs) You've been working a string of night shifts? Yes. Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I don't know if this edition is so much as a special one as just a programming uh, switch up. Out of order. Well, I think the order is going to remain this way. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Talking with Trotter, I think we're going to do the first and third, and he's going to do the second and fourth. What is today? Tuesday. Today's the first. Yes. Oh, okay. Great. Um, Good so, to know. Yes. So, <laughs> as programming director, I guess you should know that. I, uh, I am here a lot, so it's all good for me, but um, that's good for listeners to know. So, we're yeah. going to switch up. We're going to become the first and third Tuesday mornings at 9 o'clock, and Dr. Trotter and Mind Body Health is going to be the second and fourth. Okay, yes. we can handle that. I think so. Um, what about com- becoming more frequent because of Omicron? What do Omicron. you think about that? Well, I think that Omicron is going to be so short and sharp and potentially mm-hmm. painful that um, becoming more frequent might just have to be like one extra show kind of thing. And um, that'll get us through it. Yeah, and e- even that, it's not clear. I mean, some people are now... To get to launch into our show, yeah. I guess um, the the peak for California is now. The prediction has actually moved down. Um, some people are thinking it might actually peak um, as soon as the ninth or tenth of this month, um, which is kind of what it looked like it did in the South African model. And you know, it's it's still going more or less straight up, um, but oddly, um, somewhat surprisingly we're not seeing a massive surge in this county yet um i'm seeing a lot of omicron to be sure a lot of covid to be sure um much more than i was a couple months ago but it's not the mad numbers um and that's reflected in the county dashboard as well um we're just not seeing you know 100 cases a day in the county Mm -hmm. um that some jurisdictions are seeing so it's it's a little bit of a mismatch up here um interesting yeah it is interesting um Yet again, another oddity of COVID. Yeah, well, uh, let's start with the numbers so we can kind of get a baseline. And then I want to ask you about this because it feels like there's a lot of COVID around. Yeah, no, it does feel like there's a lot of COVID, uh, to be real. But the numbers on the county dash on the county side aren't aren't showing it um mm-hmm. we're adding about 15 cases a day um which is you know not very i mean it's I a lot i know all 15 <laughs> of those people yes. because i mean we're just getting you know yeah, anecdotally I, a lot of news I am, about I am seeing a lot of kids in the er with covid mm-hmm. um that's a daily occurrence now kids? Mm-hmm. but they're 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 fine they're not critically ill but they have covid um you know more than flu or rsv um over the course of the last week um so about 15, 16 cases a day, bringing our total up to 8,767. Uh, we have nine in the hospital as of yesterday, two in the ICU, so that has climbed. No further mortality. Um, about 300 people in isolation or quarantine um, in, in the county. California's numbers are plus 400% over two weeks. Okay, so you know, that's that's not where we are right now, but California on the heat map is quickly becoming deep purple, um, depending on which map you look at. But, you know, we're adding 40,000 cases a day in California. Um, the U.S. is now adding around a half million daily new COVID cases, um, bringing our total 
confirmed case count in this country to 56 million. Um, and then really the metric that's more interesting to just about everybody at this point is hospitalizations. Um, and hospitalizations, you know, locally are certainly putting a strain on things. Nine is not a small number in a small county, um, to be sure. But after two years, we've, we've certainly learned how to manage that. Um, but nationwide hospitalizations are up about 40% um, over two weeks. So climbing, um, and remember, obviously, that hospitalizations are a lagging indicator, as is death. Um, and so we'll see how this washes out as these cases sort of come surging you know, through the system. It should be said, particularly in the presence uh, or in the availability of the home tests, which generally can be found with some initiative. I mean, it's hard to find them necessarily on your first foray into a pharmacy. Um, these these case counts are significant undercounts. I think a lot of people are getting tested at home and they aren't ending up in any sort of government tally. Um, and so whether that's what I'm seeing here in this county um, or not, it's hard to say, but I got to tell you, I've had a lot of panic value calls from the lab, which is a positive COVID test. And so that hadn't happened really um, with regularity uh, up until the last 10 days. What does that mean? A lot of panic calls from the lab? Not panic, not panic calls. It's a panic value. So a value that requires the lab call and talk to the ordering provider. Something that requires potentially immediate action. That's all. Okay, and that's yeah. that's new. It's it's not new. It's the it's it's been a recurrent you know thing. Um, over the summer, we got a lot of those calls. We were diagnosing a lot of people with COVID. During the early parts of the fall, we weren't really getting them at all because we weren't seeing that much COVID, and now now it's back. Yeah. Well, I guess that was my thought about. I know the at-home tests have been distributed widely mm -hmm. uh, through the through the schools. At least the Ukiah Unified School District mm -hmm. distributed them before the break to all of their students uh, if who, who wanted them. So yeah, I mean, my family and I know a lot of folks are doing the at-home tests. Yes. Yeah, and, so, they're, and they're accurate. I mean, they're actually, in a sort of paradoxical way, they're better um, than the PCR tests at telling you whether you're infectious, whether you're going to spread it to somebody else. Because the PCR tests have the sort of the shortcoming of being too sensitive, if you will. They're too good at picking up the virus. Whereas the antigen tests, the home tests, um, really are going to give you a better picture as to whether you're likely to be shedding the virus. So if you are positive and you want to know when you're most likely no longer contagious, the home test is the test that you're going to want to get um, to, give, to give the individual um, a sense of you know their contagiousness. Now, that doesn't follow any CDC distinction. They decided to punt on that fine distinction because while well, they're moving, you know, their moving guidelines are fragmented enough as it is. What about, I've heard of home tests where you get a very faint line, a positive line. That's still a positive? Yes. Okay, so yes, just, <laughs> if it's very faint, you're not just a little bit sick. You're still positive. It's just a whiff of COVID. Yes, yeah, but uh, enough to infect other people. Yeah, so yeah. stay home. But, you know, we're, we're two years in now, right? Well, this is a new year. This is the month we all learned the word COVID and coronavirus. And, you know, two years ago, we all started our odyssey of becoming armchair public health officers and armchair epidemiologists and, for better or for worse, armchair immunologists. So it's it's been a long, slow pandemic for yeah. sure. Um, 
I actually am impressed, quite impressed, um, with how well um, things have functioned in this county under this strain. Um, we've really held together in a remarkably good way. Now, 105 deaths is a lot of death, to be sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of that could have been prevented if we had had a more organized national response. That goes without saying, at least it goes without saying on this show. Um, but locally, the federally, you know, the health centers throughout the county, the FQHCs, um, have really sort of stood, you know, in the front lines of this for two years now, um, delivering care to the residents of this county in a way that's been remarkable. Um, and that, that reflects the fact that these are people in this community, working in this community to keep this community safe. And I think that's really sort of reflects the fact that we are a small cohesive in some way community and the same goes to the hospital i mean we've been under a threat of you know being overwhelmed um for two years and you know we have managed it quite well none of the hospitals has you know fallen apart we've never gone into crisis mode and when i talk to my some of my colleagues from residency and from medical school that's not always the norm. Some of these hospitals have really completely fallen apart. I'm not just talking about being overwhelmed by COVID, but staffing has not been able to keep it together, right? So the fact that our small hospitals um, have succeeded in staying cohesive and functional um, really is fortunate for us, frankly. I love to hear it. I love the shout out. And, yeah. and how, like, what does it look like when a hospital falls apart so you you start to lose staff right people people start calling in sick they don't take care of themselves so they actually do get sick or they call in sick Mm -hmm. um they quit they move to a different location um there's a lot of stress that we're all dealing with um and you know it's not if it's not managed um if there isn't a cohesive sort of spree to core during this long stressful period um then you know you you just start to lose staff Mm -hmm. um and things you know go sideways and that has happened certainly in other places yeah but you feel, I know we talked about this a lot at the first few months of the pandemic, the sort of existential dread that was bearing down on healthcare providers in the county. You feel yeah. like people are weathering it. Yeah, I think we're weary, frankly. I mean, I'm both tired and weary right now, but we're all weary because it's been two years of this ridiculousness, right? And, you know, we're just ready to be done with it. Yeah. However, and this is, this is not really um, being said much, um, but I think the knight in shining armor, the thing that's going to bring this to a close is, in fact, Omicron. Uh, really? Yeah. So let me explain. I mean, that's that's certainly not um, out there a lot, but we are right now a nation um, that's about 65% fully vaccinated. That's not with the definition, including the booster, but I'll set that aside. Um, we are a nation of 50, some thousand, 50 million um, confirmed COVID cases. That number is certainly a massive undercount, um, maybe by a factor of two. Um, So we have a lot of immunity to coronavirus at this point, Um, very high level immunity, not the 85, 92 
percent that you need for herd immunity. But Omicron, as it's coming washing over us at the you know, at the tune of a half million cases a day, um, is going to get us, um, I think, very quickly to that herd immunity stage, and it's going to do it in the setting of you know a pandemic that we haven't contained. Um, it's going to do it in the least painful way I could actually hope for, which is to say. So far, at least, everything's pointing toward this being a much more benign um, strain um, than Delta or even Alpha. Um, and so, yes, people are going to get sick. Yes, hospital numbers are going to go way up. Yes, some areas might even lose capacity, um, but not the way that we would have seen two years ago, certainly, or even a year ago. Um, you know, you know, bearing in mind that a year ago, only very few people were vaccinated at all. Um, and so this is actually, I think, going to be the surge um, that puts us over the hump with this pandemic. And then we unfortunately just sort of slouch toward an endemic and we just have COVID with us. Do you think boosters are going to become a regular, a regular thing we all have to do? Yeah, you you mean on a yearly basis? Or? There are some sort of regular. Time I think still. it's quite possible. I mean, we've seen how quickly a new strain can emerge. I mean, Omicron was detected middle of November. That's yeah, like a wildfire. Yeah, so that may happen again. Um, but the you know, all things being equal, the natural progression of this is for new strains to become less virulent mm -hmm. um, and you know spreading through a community that has markedly increased increased immunity. So whether that new strain requires a booster to prevent you know a very significant risk of illness or a smaller population sort of based um, decrease in illness, I don't know yet. Um, it's just it's hard to predict and beyond the horizon. Yes. Well, keeping with my nature metaphors, mm. um, Omicron is like a tsunami, right? It's like it's going to hit us, overwhelm us, and then the water's going to recede. How do you think the local hospital's going to? You said it's going to peak the ninth or tenth, so we're looking at in the next week. How are you guys going to hold up? I think we'll be fine. You know, I really do. I mean, this it's is a great show so far. <laughs> Much better than last week. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it, it might not be as soon as the ninth or tenth. I mean, not all models put it there. I, I think the Cal some California models initially had it um, peaking the end of the month, um, but. I think that's going to be much sooner than that. It might be somewhere in between there. But certainly within the next two weeks, I think we're going to reach peak Omicron, if you will. <laughs> so with yeah. the home testing and the less intense illness, maybe some of this will be diverted from the hospital? I think so. Um, you know, I don't think that people are necessarily going to come to the hospital just for a COVID test. I wouldn't urge anybody to do that. It's a very expensive way to do it. And frankly, we have other things to deal with. Um, but I don't think we're going to get overwhelmed in the sense that um, we're going to lose complete bed capacity or we're going to have, you know, people lined up in the hallway, you know, coughing like an old fashioned TV ward. I hope we don't get to that point. Um, but it's possible. I mean, it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility. But so far, I'm cautiously optimistic. Today in Ukiah, at least kids went back to school. Yes. Do you think this is going to have an impact on this? The what's well, already going straight up in terms of the curve for infection I, yeah, numbers. Yeah, I just you know it's 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 a fraught moment, right? I mean, the, the the thing to take solace in is the fact that Omicron doesn't seem to make people very sick. Now, it does seem to be making some kids 
you know, it's it's making some kids sick. Um, and really, we didn't see very many kids getting sick from Delta or um, Alpha. But the Omicron variant is, I think it's fair to say, making kids get sick with about the same frequency, which is to say not very frequent. The vast majority of kids, you know, 98%, 99% of kids who get um, this new strain are going to do just fine. Um, maybe a small percentage are going to require oxygen. Um, but generally speaking, um, if your kid gets, gets, you know, this illness, it's going to be much like a flu-like illness or even, dare I say, just a cold. (laughs) Well, before we open the phone lines, anything else? Um, Pfizer vaccine for 12 to 16 year olds oh, yes. has now become available. Um, so if you've got a kid in that age range, run, don't walk to get your kid the booster because we know the booster is much needed. Um, and if your kid was boosted or excuse me, vaccinated in that age range, right when it became available, then you're right at the five to six month uh, interval for getting boosted. So that arrived just in time. Yeah, seriously, if kids go back to school. What about all of the new guidelines from the CDC? How, can you <laughs> no, shed any no, light on this? No. I mean, it's like, what? Yeah, it, it really is just, it's so jumbled. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not illogical, um, but it's really hard to sort of talk people through that uh, in a way that is coherent. So, you know, it's it's frustrating to be sure. I think it reflects more of a manpower issue um, than a change in the science mm-hmm. issue. Um, yes, we know that most of the people who are going to be getting other people infected are going to do so in the first five days of an illness. But there are going to be some that are still, you know, shedding virus, shedding active live virus um, out to 10 days. And that's why that 10 day isolation was was in place. But I think they realize that they're going to lose all of their teachers and pilots and doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists during this surge. And there wasn't going to be anybody to do that sort of thing. Uh So I think they had to weigh the risks. So they're basically, so the CDC has taken their guidelines for how long you have to isolate once you get a positive COVID test from 10 days to five days. So they're basically trying to just do the best possible yeah, thing. It's, it's, you know, the, yeah, the director of the CDC, you know, basically said as much at a press conference last week. She's like, science has to, you know, work in conjunction with the needs of society, which is certainly true, um, but it does reveal the complex decision-making um, that went behind these changes. Yeah. No way to be in that room. I know. Yeah. It's also like people have been saying that from all different sort of camps of, of this pandemic for a long time, you know, but now they're sort of admitting well, it. Well, 10 days is a long time, right? It is, but we've been subject to that for two years. Yes. In fact, wasn't it longer before? It was 14 it days of quarantine. Weeks? Oh, uh-huh, right. But the isolation for those who were infected was only 10 days, but paradoxically, those who are living with infected people had an extra four days. Yes. So, and, but a lot of that was developed, particularly uh, it should be noted, in the absence of any testing. Um, and so now that we have sort of more available testing capa- capabilities, um, it, it certainly was time to refresh those rather onerous restrictions. So five days and a negative test, and you're good to go. Yeah. Get on back out there. Get yeah. to work. Yeah. 
All right. Well, good. Good to know our priorities. Yes. yes. I should also note um, getting more attention um, is the fourth or even fifth booster shot, uh, which I've talked about for people with significant um, you know, immune dysfunction. Um, and Israel has gone ahead and authorized that um, first country to do so. And I just this past week, the New York Times ran an article um, about how some people are doing an end run around uh, CDC recommendations and, in fact, getting a fourth or fifth booster without, quote unquote, the evidence to back it up. I think the evidence and certainly the biological plausibility is there to support that. Um, we know after millions, hundreds of millions of vaccine doses that these vaccines are incredibly safe. So the downside risk um, is incredibly low, whereas a lot of the evidence points toward getting a fourth booster if you have a solid organ transplant or if you're on immune suppressing uh, medication. Um, and so I would frankly, go visit your friendly, federally qualified health center and uh, see if you can navigate getting that fourth dose. Talk to your health care provider. Yes. All right. Well, are we ready to open the phone lines? Open them up. Okay. It's the local coronavirus update. Alicia Bales here at the controls with Dr. Drew Colfax. And we're going to open up the phone lines now for your COVID questions and I guess comments. We always get some of those, too. 707-895-2448 is the number here in the studio. Again, 707-895-2448. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I'll try to be really brief. We could talk about the inequality and inequity of the whole situation for hours, but that's another show, right? That is many, many shows, yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, the instant test you're talking about, the at-home test, mm -hmm. you can ha you have to buy that at a pharmacy, and I've heard it's $25 for two tests. They're also being distributed for free by public health, is my understanding. Okay, let me tell you about the situation here that I know. Mm -hmm. They brought, I'm on the South Coast. They mm -hmm. brought a 1,000 of them over here whenever that day that they got them. And by the time I read about it in my local paper, they had been gone instantly that day. Then why do you say they are distributing them? They did it one time. They put them in the local grocery stores. And my friends who are not as old as me, but the husband has Parkinson's, were in their local grocery store. And as they were leaving, an employee ran out and said, hey, maybe you want these. Do you think that's a good way to... I read about it in the newspaper a week later. That seems really, really crazy yeah, to it's, me. It's not that's not equality. Well, I'm not that's sure. That's not equity. Old people and sick people should have been... Somebody should have called us. And I don't have a screen. Of course. So I'm at the very bottom of the communication chain. Besides, I don't have local health care or I have to travel to a screen. What kind of way is that to give out a thousand tests and one shot deal? That's loco to me. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I'm not sure how for a thousand cases were distributed on the South Coast um, all at once. I mean, they're you know, there are less than half that many people out there. Um, and so whether there was no limitation on how many boxes people could pick up or why it was just dumped in grocery stores, I don't know. Um, I can tell you that public health is undermanned and understaffed and has been throughout this pandemic. Um, 
But yes, the the test kits are for now still about twenty bucks a pop for two tests in the box, and apparently um, public health has run through their supply already. So when we're getting more from the state via the feds, I don't know, um, and I don't think public health has announced when they're going to get a resupply in but as for your personal predicament um you know the the home test kit is really in your scenario i would submit most important if you're going to um go see somebody else right and frankly during this little surge that we're having for the next week or two that's probably not a good idea right and the home the testing in general is reassuring it's reassuring to get a negative test but it really doesn't change anything that you should be doing provided that you're asymptomatic so i hear you um it's frustrating and your points are valid but hang in there and don't you know don't don't get to a boil on this because it's just yet another shortcoming of how we've responded to this entire pandemic all right thanks for the call good morning caller you are live on the air hi good morning this is alfonso from the deep end Hello, Alfonso. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm glad to hear that. My heart goes out to you and all fellow medical workers and first responders that have to deal with this. My eyes actually tear up even though I'm an old guy. So anyway, um, I like to call you Dr. Drew Facts. That's spelled D-R-E-W-F-A-C-T-S. You give us the facts, the true facts. So I like I'm it. Bring, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you uh, some good news today. Um, if nobody had caught Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! yesterday's show, uh, she had interviews with two people dealing with COVID, and the first one was the Dr. Peter, uh, what was his name, Hotez. He's with the Texas Children's Hospital. And he co-developed a patent-free vaccine for the world. Yeah. And they say that they have uh, somebody lined up to produce uh, 100 million um, doses a month or 1.2 billion a year. So I thought that was pretty good and uh, took me back to my younger days when Dr. Jonas Salk gave the world the vaccine for polio, the polio vaccine for free. And there's still good people out there. No, it's a, it's a, it's a point well made. Uh, you know, meanwhile, Pfizer is bringing in $138 billion. That's $138 billion on these two drugs that they've developed around this pandemic. I don't think that's going to be um, re-donated back to the public anytime soon. So, no, yeah, yeah, this... Yeah, this doctor made a made a, a point that though they invite you know scientists from around the world to come into their labs and teach them how to make uh, vaccines, and he says, oh, you'd never find that with Pfizer or Moderna yeah. <laughs> or yeah. any other. And the other one was a, a, a another individual was an Irene um, Bosch, who uh, developed with her team uh, a rapid antigen test. She said that could be produced for like about fifty cents and sell for about a buck, and uh, they ran into snags with the FDA approving it back in March, I think, of 2020. But, you know, if you're interested, there's, you know, that, that interview is online, available Democracy Now. They they do a text, and they also, you could do the video, I guess. But yeah, anyway. No, thank you. Thanks for the call, and thanks for the shout-out to Democracy Now. I, 
you know, the the home tests really don't cost a lot. I mean, they're not there's not a lot in there for those of us who's purchased them and used them. Um, it's that's immediately apparent. Um, you know, it's some cardboard. It's about two pennies worth of developing liquid um, and a bunch of plastic packaging. So those tests really truly should cost um, pennies, um, and the and the government the federal government should be driving that um, purchasing and distribution. They haven't really done a whole lot yet. There's been some noise about it, but it hasn't translated to that many kits on the ground, if you will. All right. Thanks for the call. We'll take our next caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I was wondering about, um, I get tested every week because I, I swim and do things that maybe get exposed to COVID. And um, if I were to test positive, then I would... Um, stay home and isolate for the five days only with no availability of the home tests how what would i do to get a test to find out if i am negative yeah then you would have to just get a not at home test um and it may still remain positive it may remain positive um all the way up to the end of the 10 days and if you're asymptomatic at the end of the 10 days then you just take yourself out of isolation um the home test would be nice because it has a higher likelihood of coming back negative but that being said most people still do clear um even on the PCR lab tests, the virus. Um, some don't, to be sure. Some people will test positive for weeks or even months afterwards. But most people are going to clear it, and the majority of people actually are going to clear it within that 10-day period. But what about going out in public to get the test? Well, you can you can call and get you can get tested. You just need to let the people know wherever you're going to get tested um, that you're testing to come out of come out of isolation um and i and i i'm not speaking with 100 percent certainty as to whether that's offered at the ukiah fairgrounds but it certainly is offered um at um no, I'm, I'm on the coast yeah so the, the 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 coastal clinics would be able to test you um just call them beforehand and let them know oh great thank you very much yep all right thanks for the wonderful call. show thank you so much all right appreciate that it's the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we're taking your calls until 10. 10. So another half hour or so, a little bit less. 707-895-2448. And two years in, the phone lines are all lit up, so we'll keep, we will persevere. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I'd like to ask about the laboratory. I think it's North Shore Labs at Penny's that is offering antigen tests um, and PCR tests for free. It's a drive-through clinic. And I'm just wondering, um, uh, I haven't seen any advertising about it, and I'm wondering what Dr. Drew thinks about it. I must say I don't have a lot of thoughts about it because I don't know of it. Um, so interesting information that you're giving me, but... I'm not sure even where this testing site is. Pennies in pennies on the dollar, perhaps. I just looked it up. Uh, North Shore Labs of California home. I don't know. Let me do a little bit more uh, googling. Googling yes. <laughs> while you talk to your next caller. Here, let's right. take our next call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Good morning. I'm curious, 
the local gym is open, and I have started to go back, and I'm just curious, in the um, studio, there's about six or seven people doing dance exercises, and everybody wears masks, and I'm just curious how safe that is to practice that exercise, because we've been held back for so long, it's nice to get back to it, and now to see Omicron come again, I'm questioning if I should go or not. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess, you know, at this point, um, we've all become pretty good at assessing our own risks or our own comfort with risk and exposure. So a lot of it's going to depend on your vaccination and boosted status. Uh, the second big consideration is going to become your age um, or any sort of risk factors for doing poorly with COVID. If you're not you know, over the age of 65, if you don't have a lot of comorbidities or risk factors and you're vaccinated, then... You know, if you're staying masked, the risks to you, um, I would submit, or to many of us, would be acceptable to do that sort of thing. Um, some of us might decide not to because, well, we just don't want to get sick from COVID um, for a gym session. Um, it might be prudent to give it a pass for the next week or two while we see pretty high numbers in this county. But, you know, a month ago and a month from now, I think it would certainly be okay to engage in that sort of activity. Well, thank you for your uh, answer. You're welcome. Have a good workout. I avoid gyms. It just makes me tired. <laughs> That's kind of the point of yeah. it, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks for the question. Uh, I didn't find anything about Northern California, North Shore Labs. There's one in Chicago. They're doing a lot in Southern California, and the furthest north they're getting is Fairfield. So I don't think that's something happening locally, which is probably why you haven't heard of it. Yes. Um, but if somebody knows something that we don't know, please do let us know. 895-2448. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hello, caller. Okay. Mm -hmm. Guess not. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. It's me again about the lab in Penny's. <laughs> Um, I, sorry. Hello? I, I should have probably have hung on, but there is, it's like in the parking lot of Penny's. It's, um, a drive-through lab. They do an antigen test and they give you the results and then they do, uh, they also are mandated, they say, to um, give a, do a PCR test as well. And those results don't come back. I had one done last week, and it's still not back, so it's really not very helpful. But certainly getting the antigen test, I think, can be helpful to the community, and I just was wondering why it isn't advertised more and if it was really legitimate. <laughs> So are you talking about the parking lot of J.C. Penney's in Ukiah? Yes, it's in the There's like a, a little kiosk or something? Pardon? Is it is it like a kiosk or a truck or what is it? It's a, like a little portable. It's not even a building. It's like one of those um, tent. Um, train tanker things. It's like a metal kiosk, yes, but um, you just stay in your car and they have a QR code and you sign up and um, they do a rapid antigen test. And then they also do a PCR at the same time. Huh. Yeah. I, News to us. News to me. 
I, I can't speak to its legitimacy, but it would be an awfully involved effort to make it illegitimate uh, COVID testing site. So I, I don't think you would need to worry about that, frankly. But I'm not sure if this is coming from county or public or from the state. Um, I'll, I'll swing by there this afternoon and get more information. Big call. Well, I've tried to kind of pump them to see who's paying for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they actually asked for insurance card. But when I had my test done, she said, oh, don't worry about that. It's free. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd be curious to know mm-hmm. who's doing it. And certainly it's a great service for the community, for people that cannot get um, these rapid tests yeah. anywhere. Agreed. Thank you. Interesting. All right. Thanks for calling back. Yeah. yeah it sheds a little more light on it. Good morning, caller. Not that I can <laughs> shed any on it. Yeah. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, good morning. Um I received the J&J dose way back in March, mm-hmm. and I had a pretty severe reaction to it. I was sick for weeks, and then I got my Moderna booster. So okay. now I've got, and I and I didn't have a strong reaction. I was felt really uncomfortable, fatigued, and weird for about three, four days. So I like the mRNA. Now, what I'm wondering, am I really fully vaccinated now? Should I get another dose of Moderna. When did you get your Moderna, approximately? Um, early, early December. Like yeah, December so at this point, yes, I would consider yourself to be fully vaccinated because you got the one-time J&J, or what was nominally the one-time J&J was at the time. Um, right. and, and then you've been boosted recently. So the the memory of your initial immunity has been awakened by this booster. So at least in regards to Omicron, um, you are fully vaccinated and protected at this point. So I don't think you need to seek a third dose um, to sort of further bump up your immunity. That might change. You might need a third dose six months down the road um, if you know, whatever the next letter in the Greek alphabet comes bearing down upon us. Um, but uh, you know, at this point, no, you don't. You don't need a third vaccine. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. thank you very much. More good news. Happy New Year. Right. I, I, I actually figured out when the pandemic was going to end. It's going to end when we run through the Greek alphabet. What's the, what's the next letter? I don't even I know. Don't know. Okay. I don't know. We could yeah. who's yeah. start making I didn't it up? know Omicron was a letter. I, mean, I think they just made this up. I do, too. Yeah. Which is kind of cool of yeah. them. Yeah. One of the cooler things. Okay. Thanks for the call, caller. Last you both. 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I guess we're switching our days. We're going the first and third Tuesdays now. So we'll be back in, in two weeks on the third Tuesday. And next week it'll be Dr. Marvin Trotter with Mind Body Health, which is always a terrific show as well. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I was just wondering if... Uh the doctor had a breakdown of mortality by age group um, because, you know, that seems to be the real issue with COVID. Everybody's worried they're going to die. Right. Well, everybody, here's the bad news. Everybody is going to die. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, okay, good. All right, good. Um, so in, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, and I certainly don't have them as they are broken down for this county. Um, but in general, um, about 80% of COVID mortality um, has been people who are 65 and older. Um, and 
each decade um, beyond 65 more or less doubles your risk with COVID. Uh, so in the 65 to 75, your you know, your risk is is high, um, but then it doubles between 75 and 85, and it doubles again uh, when so, you get into the, the, the you know the the 85 to 95 age range. Um, so but, overall percentage yeah. of of death yeah. from COVID. Yes. Are we talking 5, 10, 15, 20, what? 20 percent of any... Well, what is the number? Do you, do you yeah, know? so the number, I mean, the mm-hmm. nation as a whole, we're just over 800,000 deaths, 825,000 deaths from COVID in the last two years, really in the last 18 months, or, well, I guess it is almost two years at this point. Um so 800,000 deaths, that's rounded down for math purposes, and approximately 80% of um, the people have been 65 and up. So that's 640,000 deaths from COVID in people ages 65 and up. Now, I'm not sure off the top of my head what our Medicare um, population is, but I would estimate that it is around 50 million people, maybe 40 million people. Um, and so 600,000 deaths out of 50 million, we're looking at a death rate, a mortality rate of less than 1%, um, which is, you know, one third sort of our worst predictions when it first came into Italy and the mortality rate was three or four or 5%. Um, a lot of that reflects sort of how much we've learned in the last two years in terms of treating the acutely ill. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we can manage ICU distribution a bit better. Um, but that's that's a pretty high mortality rate for, for a viral illness, um, for any infectious illness. You know, Influenza um, carries a pretty high mortality rate in the very elderly as well, but but not that level, um, not even close to that level. Okay. Well, it's. <clears throat> I think that's helpful. You know, to keep to maintain a perspective on this. You, know, you tell people, I tested positive last week. Yeah. And I told people, yeah, I tested positive, and I feel like I told people. I'm about to die. Yeah, no, it's there's a lot of and a lot of what I do at work is to tell people a you have COVID and b you're going to be fine. Um, yeah. it's not always the case. Sometimes I tell people a you have COVID, b I really wish you'd been vaccinated because boy you're really sick. Um, and hopefully we can take care of you. That's the conversation I really don't like having. That's the one that makes us so weary. And I use that word intentionally in yeah. an emergency room because it's avoidable at this point. It largely is. Now there's some people who are just really unlucky fully vaccinated people um, who get COVID and get really sick. That will happen. I mean, just as you, you know, some people will, you know, die in a car crash fully strapped in and obeying all speeding laws. Things happen. Um, And there's not always, you know, point A to B connectivity to explain how it's, you know, how one person's getting sicker compared to another. But your point is well taken. It should be pointed out that if we had if we have approximately 650,000 um, deaths in the in the Medicare population, that still means that we're over we're almost 200,000 deaths um, in the under 65 population. That's a lot 
of uh, mortality. Um, 200,000 deaths from a viral illness. To put that in context, um, you know, your average flu season uh, will kill between 10 and 20,000 people in this country of all ages. Um, And so, you know, we're talking, you know, 10 times that um, over two years um, in people younger than 65. It's been a really long, nasty pandemic. Uh, Much worse much, much worse than even I had predicted. And I was doom and gloom compared to, you know, the federal speaking points, you know, two years ago. Um, I would never have said that we're going to ultimately have a million deaths in this country uh, after shutting everything down. But that's where we're headed. We will be there before this ends. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I, I just, again, <clears throat> got tested positive, And the next day, I was stacking firewood. Yeah. Well, and, good. and that and that's that's not unusual, right? I mean, don't overdo it. To be sure, you are you are sick in a mild sort of way. But if you're vaccinated and you test positive, then you're probably going to be fine. It's an inconvenience. It's an annoyance. I've had multiple family members who have tested positive, um, and you know we're doing fine. But it's it's you know the reality that we're all experiencing with you know 50 million confirmed cases and probably twice the number if you count all cases. Most of us have experience now with being sick with COVID or having a family member who's been sick with COVID. That is the norm. Yep. All right, caller. Thank you so much for the comment. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm calling because I had a question. I had a brother who was admitted to the hospital, not for COVID, for unrelated illness, and he was able to get in. The hospital wasn't filled up. Um, but there was a thing with the, the nurses where some of them didn't want to be vaccinated, and uh, it, most of them did. But the, the rule was if they weren't vaccinated, they had to be tested twice a week. And if they were vaccinated, then they didn't. But my understanding is this, this virus does not, if you're vaccinated, you're not protected from getting it. And you're not protected from from giving it away. You are protected from getting seriously ill, but you're not protected from getting it. So doesn't this set up a situation where people who are vaccinated are are not being tested and then they're going to just be passing it around? That's a really good question, and there is some confusion around this. So, first off, the vaccine rate um, amongst nursing staff, amongst staff in this county, um, is in the mid-90s. Um, it's, it's pretty high. It's not 100%, which is what we'd like to see. And that number is actually a little bit stale. I think it's climbed up uh, quite a bit over the course of the last month or two. Um, so, I'm sure there are still a few healthcare workers in this county who are still unvaccinated. Um, but i got to tell you, some of the holdouts that I personally knew have signed up. Um, So that's encouraging, A. B, um, your point is well taken in regard to the vaccine not being an absolute protection, but being vaccinated does significantly reduce the amount of virus that you're shedding, probably on the order of a uh, 50% reduction, maybe even a little bit higher than that. So the likelihood that you're going to be shedding virus if you're vaccinated um, is much lower. 
Um, and then thirdly, um, we're all wearing masks, right? And so, you know, we're in, the, we're in there fully masked all the time. Masks, believe it or not, really do work. Um, and so that has, I think, adequately um, contained the spread within healthcare facilities. Uh, it's just 100% masking requirement. Would it be best if we all were tested every day before we come in? Sure, but that that isn't something that we have moved toward either locally or nationally um, for a host of reasons. Um, mostly one of logistics and you know pushback from a you know a minority of healthcare workers who would really object to that, not just locally, um, but more on a statewide or national scene. Well, it seems like it just creates a, a real situation where people who are vaccinated and have the virus, which has happened a lot. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, no, mean, it, yeah. I mean, it's happened a lot. So then you're in there with patients who might even be compromised, like my brother who had, you know, blood clots and had some other issues. But um, you might be in there spreading it around because you don't have any symptoms and you don't know that you have COVID uh, because the vaccine reduces the symptoms. I'm not even sure it's a vaccine. Is it? Is it a treatment or a vaccine? Because it seems like everybody just gets it. So, yeah, no, um, the, like- the vaccine is a vaccine. We do have treatments, although we don't have a lot right now. Um, and it it works. The problem, sort of the practical implication of your concern is how much can you test, right? So if a nurse tests negative at the beginning of their shift, is still theoretically, or a doctor, or a respiratory therapist, or the house cleaning staff, if they test negative at the beginning of the shift and they remain asymptomatic throughout their shift, is it still possible that they could have become positive during those 12 hours and started shedding virus? Yes, it is. So you can't really test yourself down to a zero risk in that regard. What I can say is we're really not seeing a large incidence of COVID being transmitted uh, by healthcare workers within within institutions. It does happen, and it has happened, um, but it's it's not really a major route of transmission. Can I clarify something too? Because I get asked this question a lot, and I'm no expert, but um, oh, after two years, I think you are. I mean, I yeah. know some stuff yeah. from sitting here with yeah. you for hundreds of hours, but um, literally at this point, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the sort of the implication in the question is that vaccination doesn't stop you from getting COVID. And that's not the case. If you're vaccinated, you do have a much less chance of getting COVID, right? Even though you can still get a breakthrough case. Yes. And, you know, calling it a breakthrough case, I mean, that's almost an obsolete term at this point. Okay. Yes. But, but yes, you you it, it reduces substantially the, the likelihood that you will contract COVID in the first place. Um, it reduces fairly substantially the likelihood that if you get COVID, you're going to spread it to others. But really where it continues to shine is it will keep you out of the graveyard or out of the hospital, um, which is to say it is extremely effective at preventing severe illness or death. What's the percentage, do you think, of uh, vaccinated people becoming infected? What's your protection rate once you have your booster? Oh, in terms of being able to not contract yeah. COVID at all yeah. if exposed. Uh, so it, there are a lot of variables in play, okay. right? So it, it's hard to give that an absolute number. I would, to 
to just give you a gestalt estimate um, after you know sort of synthesizing a lot of the data from a lot of these studies, it the likelihood that you're going to get COVID if you're fully vaccinated and boosted um, is probably cut in half or maybe even greater um, if it, when compared to an unvaccinated individual. Okay. Um, but the likelihood that you're going to develop an illness that you notice is again cut in half and then the likelihood that you're going to spread it to somebody else is again cut in half so the protective effect setting aside the amazing protective effect of preventing severe illness um is 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 um multiplied you know by all these various steps that must go on for the for the virus to propagate all right i just wanted to say that again because people ask me this a lot there's like this assumption that well people who are vaccinated can still get the virus so why even bother getting vaccinated and because um, it helps prevent you from dying and getting it well yes but dying is really what we want to avoid i like not dying yeah right hello caller you are live on the air the question um a co-worker got around to getting his first vaccine ago and then they sort of rushed him through, and he got his second vaccine, uh, second dose, uh, two weeks later, so about two weeks ago. And I'm what they would recommend for him to as his uh, timing for his booster. And then the question is, I have two friends been vaccinated received AstraZeneca. You're really wonder- breaking up, caller. Can we just stick with the one question? Uh, is this better? Yep. Yep. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I have two friends who've been vaccinated overseas with AstraZeneca Mm. and wondering what the recommended booster is for AstraZeneca. You know, I actually don't have the answer to that. I would surmise um, that the recommended booster for AstraZeneca is whatever you can get boosted with, Um, preferably not AstraZeneca, um, preferably one of the... uh, one of the uh, mRNA vaccines, if it's available wherever they live. Um, as for your first question, which I did catch, um, the friend who was a late adopter or late arriver to the vaccine movement for COVID um, is now fully protected um, and will remain so for the duration of this surge. Um, the current guideline is that that person would qualify for their third dose or their what we call the booster dose um, five months after the second shot. So that's going to, you know, that's going to occur sometime in April or May, uh, well after this whole surge has come over us. But for your friend's protection, those two shots are fresh enough and new enough that they offer very good protection. All right. Thanks for the call, caller. We've got about four minutes left, so let's see if we can get one more caller in. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, thank you for answering the phone. I was wondering, how do we know how well the vaccine works if everybody's wearing a mask? And I'll take my answer off the phone. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's two different things, right? So the masks help prevent illness. It helps prevent you from contracting the virus. Um, and then we're able to track outcomes once you contract COVID. And we can compare and contrast uh, those who have been vaccinated uh, with those who have not. At that point, once you get the virus, the mask isn't doing anything to keep you from getting sick. You already have the virus. It is, however, helping you or helping us um, lower the chance of contracting the virus from the infected individual. Um, So we know the vaccines work because that um, analysis occurs 
past the point where the vaccine, where the masks um, have their efficacy. Um, and so it's a different analysis. We have different data points for that. All right. Let's try one more short one. Yeah, that was a quick, short yeah, question. Thanks. Good morning, caller. Do you have a short, short one? That's very short. Silence. Hello, caller. Do you have a short question? Yeah, I just want to say for every 100,000 people below the age of 40, only two uh, tend to die, and those tend to have comorbidities. So I think we should be focusing our efforts on uh, encouraging the more at-risk population uh, at getting vaccinated. I appreciate all the calls, and I think, you know, from a perspective of someone who's unvaccinated who is very careful, uh, just doesn't really trust putting a lab chemical into my body uh, from Pfizer or whoever, um, I can tell you that the mandatory testing uh, is really meant to scare people into getting the vaccine who aren't vaccinated, and it's uh, isolating. And to what the other caller was saying, yeah, if people are vaccinated and can spread it, they should be mandatory tested too. If we're going to mandatory test one sector, we should mandatory test uh, all sectors. All right. Thanks for the comment. Uh, we've got two minutes left. Do you want to respond to that? I There was a lot of commentary there. Um, I think we've spoken to a lot of those points over the weeks and months and years at this point. Um, you know, I, I, the caller is right in the sense that your absolute risk of COVID is quite low. Um, you know, however, uh, I think it needs to be understood in the context of a death count that has now exceeded um, all of America's wars except the Civil War uh, combined. Um, and so this has not been a drill, let's just say that. Um, and the abstract concerns that this puritanical um, person has about uh, the purity of his body um, is really overwhelmed by the evidence um, of the protective event uh, uh, effect of the vaccines. So, I data doesn't get doesn't speak to these people, um, and so I I don't really know if I need to go into it at length. And as far as my experience, testing isn't scary at all. I've been tested a lot of times, it's, it's and it's really not. And the frankly, the home nice tests te are even less annoying than the, the sort of deeper nasopharyngeal swab. Nothing scary about the home tests whatsoever. All right, All right. now the switchboard's lit up. But yep. we're out of time. <laughs> we're out of time, and we will be back in two weeks. Two Tune weeks. in next so week at January this time. Eighteenth. Yep. Tune in next week at this time for Mind Body Health with Dr. Marvin Trotter. Thanks, Drew. Yes. Thank you, Alicia. Thank Great you, callers. Great to see you in the new year. And yes. um, yeah, thanks everybody for calling in. This has been the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales. Yeah. Be safe. Be safe. Hunker Get through down. It. Hunker down. All right. And it shall wash over us. And recede. Thanks again for listening. This has been the local coronavirus update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax. Produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also hear us live on the web at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us every first and third Tuesday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions to dj at kzyx.org. 
And you can always listen to our podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stumptown, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.